Erasing the Stigma, Conversations about Mental Health in the Legal Community. Welcome to Erasing the Stigma, Conversations about Mental Health in the Legal Profession. I'm Mark Yacono, your host, and this podcast is brought to you, well, by me, Mark Yacono Untethered. Previously, the podcast was hosted under the umbrella of my former employer, but it's a new day, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to episode one. The goal of this podcast is to shine light on the mental health issues that plague our profession and impact all sorts of professionals in our profession. Through our guests and the topics they cover and the stories they tell, we try to let members of the profession know that it is okay to admit they are struggling and that they need help. For far too long, people in crisis have receded into the shadows, fearful that if they seek help, they will be stigmatized. We want to let them know that it is safe to step into the light. My first guest on episode one is a very special person. She's been a client and more importantly, a great supporter of the show and a committed advocate for making our profession healthier and more balanced. I'm pleased to introduce Jolie Gross, Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Sustainability Officer of United Rentals. She also sits on the board of GXO Logistics, a publicly traded company in a New York stock exchange. She's an amazing mom and a great mother to other lawyers. Jolie, anything else you'd like to share before we dig in? Uh, sure. Thanks, Mark. First of all, I'm super excited to be on episode one and your first guest on your relaunch. So thank you. Um, I would say some things to know um, include that um, uh, two other things I'm really passionate about are uh, some nonprofits that I work with very closely. Um, one is here uh, in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's called Family Centers, and they provide cradle-to-grave services. And the other is I recently took a seat on the board of Mystic Aquarium, um, which I'm also passionate about. And then the other thing is that I am a longtime single mom. And uh, as you mentioned, I have uh, you know amazing kids, I, I uh, a 24-year-old and a 16-year-old, so... The topic of today is about the power of community and allyship. Jolie has had a lot of opportunities to support others as they have embarked on their personal journeys of evolution and self-recognition. She's helped close friends and relatives navigate through the darkest hours as they have faced their demon. Jolie, one of the things that really, really moved me while we were prepping for this episode, and we touched on it, and we touched on your engagement with the LGBTQIA plus community after your youngest son identified as trans male. Can you tell us, you know, how, how it came about that he was comfortable sharing that and how you were able to respond? Because that's something that most parents typically don't expect. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I am uh, super privileged to be uh, my kiddo's mom. Um, I feel like he's a really brave soul. Um, when he was in sixth grade, um, the pandemic happened. And uh, at that time, uh, he identified as non-binary and was on a journey and kind of questioning uh, you know, who he was and, and, uh, his gender and, and his preference and, you know, all, all sorts of things, um, was experiencing some dysmorphia and, um, and, you know, I would talk to him about, um, our home was a safe space. Uh, his school was a safe space and we would talk about, um, you know, how important it was to be able to be one's authentic self 
and to give ourselves grace and to give others grace around us. Um, and, and regardless of how one identifies to basically be loving and accepting. You know, one of the things that I talk about all the time is for people to be emotionally healthy, they have to learn to speak in their own voice. And it's fairly prescient that someone in sixth grade could begin to find that voice and, and, and embark on that journey of self-discovery. Were you surprised or it seems unusually wise for a sixth grader? My uh, my younger kiddo was always wise beyond their years. I, I have to say this this kid was uh, you know from a very, I remember when uh, you know we'd read together when the kiddo was like one one and a half and um, I'd be reading a story about actually Todd Parr's How Are You Peeling? It was a book about feelings and uh, one of the things was you know the the there was a picture of someone upside down doing a cartwheel and they had two different colored socks on and my kiddo was like really super smart like new letters, new new shapes, everything by one, one and a half, but didn't seem to know colors. And I thought the kiddo was colorblind. So I, I said, I'm going to take you to the doctor. We'll get this checked out. And uh, and it turned out that um, my kid was kidding about all of this, knew the colors and demonstrated it when we were reading the Todd Parr book because the kid was like, oh, that's funny because that person's upside down and they're wearing a purple and a brown sock. And I was like, oh, you see colors. You're, you're just kidding. <laughs> so anyway, wise kiddo. But anyway, um, I feel like, um, you know, sixth grade was really kind of a challenging year. The non-binary stuff went on for a bit. Also, there was anxiety and depression that was diagnosed. And then as the pandemic got deeper, as um, he got older, he started to identify more strongly as male. And, you know, and that was a whole other part of talking about it and coming out. And, you know, we surrounded him with, um, uh, you know, a therapist who was really caring and also, um, you know, family members who were caring and teachers. And uh, and we collectively worked together to really make sure that he felt comfortable. And he also had a great group of friends, too, who were super supportive. And it was like a non-event for them. So great group of friends, supportive yeah. teachers, a skilled therapist and a loving family, which is, you know, I think that that's something that's really important and it's not always the case. No, it is not. I, um, I, I am very good friends with a trans female and, you know, she shares how she really hasn't had contact with her family in several years and how, you know, she's been on her own since 16 working and taking care of herself, putting herself through school. And um, it's really a, it's really a, a sad story. The, the, the benefit is she has a partner and his mother is very accepting and basically treats her as a daughter she never had. So she's now getting that sort of parental affirmation. Right. We live in a, we live in a complicated time. We um, do. And, you know, there are all sorts of things going on right now, whether or not, um, People who make the, you know, uh, trans women who make the conversion after puberty should be in sports, women's sports, um, deniers that there is more than um, a binary choice on gender, um, the environment of um, sort of malevolence against all displaced communities and minority communities and special communities. Um, how have you been able to help your son thrive and be safe? in this climate? 
Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I worry about it, right? Um, we, uh, you know, we we look carefully and we make decisions based on what we think are going to be the most safe. So, um, you know, uh, my my kiddo wanted to go to boarding school for ninth grade, and you know, we we really thought long and hard about um, where and what type of community we were looking for and how advanced that school was in its journey with respect to DEI. Um, we also thought about places and we're doing this for college too, you know, um, probably not going to want to go to school in some States that are, uh, South of, uh, you know, of Pennsylvania, right. Um, or or maybe even there, um, you know, you, you really have to pick and choose carefully. And, um, you know, I have conversations with my kiddo, even about, um, safety, just in terms of, you know, getting in an Uber, right? Um, I, you know, which uh, which I had safety concerns around my t- now twenty four year old, but they were different, right? Because the um, you know, are you are you safe going into a bathroom somewhere um, was not right. as big of a concern. So, um, a couple of years ago uh, during the pandemic, I drove my kids. Um, we drove down to Florida and then we drove back home together. And, you know, there were states where um, my son wanted to use, uh, you know, a men's room. And I was like, no, <laughs> nope, sorry. You know, I, 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 I this is not um, literally a hill that I want you to die on. So yeah. either a family bathroom or come into the ladies room, because if you go into that restroom and I'm not with you, I can't protect you. Yeah, that is, I think, one of the most... Um challenging aspects of parenthood is knowing how and when to protect your child and knowing when to let them express themselves. And and it sounds like the two of you or your whole family sort of navigates these things in a mindful, thoughtful, conscious way. Yeah. And you know what? I will say that um, intentionality, gratitude and intentionality are two things that really are at the base of, of our family and our relationships with each other. Can you expand on that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, my kids went to a day school, um, you know, and again, my older one is 24, almost 25. And the first day of kindergarten, she came home and she said to me, um, the motto at my school is be our best, help others to be their best, make God's world a better place. And I was like, Whoa. And, and so that, that became part of our family mantra in terms of be our best, help others to be their best, help to make the world a better place. So that was like the kind of uh, overarching theme of all the things that we would do. And we, um, you know, start our times together, typically talking about some things we're grateful for. And we believe that gratitude really, um, kind of helps to chip away at and mitigate anxiety and stress. And uh, I've done a lot of reading around that. And my kids, I think, believe that as well, or pretend when they're around me that they do. And then uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, the beauty of uh, keeping our side of the street clean and the unqualified apology, right? I'm sorry. Explain explain (laughs) that, keeping your side of the street clean. Yeah, yeah. That's the unqualified apology. That's the, it's not, I'm sorry, but it's just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry that I didn't say that, um, you know, in a way that was supportive, whatever it is, right? But it's, um, it, it, uh, it's really been a, a gift that keeps on giving. 
You know, that's such an important thing. And, and it's important in every aspect of our life. The ability to say, I'm, I, I'm sorry without pairing it with gaslighting. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but you made, but you did this and I just couldn't handle it. Just saying, I'm sorry, yes. full stop is so yes. much better in, in terms of resolving conflict and helping people reset. So, yeah, so you know what? And we, we have, um, we have narcissists in my family of origin and also, um, uh, you know, in my kids' families and, um, you know what? It, it's a uh, it's a challenge, but it's also a blessing in a lot of ways because it um, it really um, it makes us appreciate our good mental health. It makes us um, safeguard it by really taking care of it. And it also makes us realize, um, you know, that there are things that we can do, like give each other grace, have empathy. Um, it, you know, so it's been it's been kind of a blessing. And also at a very basic level, it also reminds us it's not about me. <laughs> Right. So that's been helpful. So that's um that's 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 a guiding philosophy for you. How how have you carried that over into your professional life? Oh gosh, in a lot of ways, right? Uh in a lot of ways. I am so grateful to be here at United. I've been here for 21 years. I was the second lawyer in the door here and I've helped to build um, a legal team. And, uh, you know, that is amazing, filled with wonderful people. And we start every one of our team meetings with uh, what are three things we're grateful for? And we share those. And then the next thing we move on to is belly flops, right? And we talk about um, what's something that you tried and you just totally like, it totally went awry. It was an epic fail. You yard sailed, whatever, you know, whatever, however you want to couch it, right? And then whoever whoever talks about a belly flop, uh, I then nominate them for a one UR coin, a culture coin, because when you have a bunch of lawyers who are, um, you know, high performers and they're all well-educated um, and, you know, they, they, uh, they, they hold themselves to a very high standard and they're perfectionists. And we want to talk about failures and near misses because it normalizes things. It, it reduces the pressure it helps people to think about, um, you know, oh my gosh, like if that situation happens to me, how do I deal with it? But it also makes it so we don't have to hide things, right? It takes that, it takes that, um, you know, needing to show up as perfect or look perfect away. And that's that whole beauty of like what I learned from narcissism, right? Is there's no such thing as perfect and why bother to aspire for it? You know, one of the things that really impacts the mental health of lawyers and it's been borne out by studies it certainly is indicative and in, in, in the trend is suggestive in the four alm mental health surveys is the the whole persona of perfection and the armor that lawyers think they have to wear you know in terms of not asking for help being ruggedly individualistic um right. uh not not having a typo, not having you know some sort of of flaw. Um, oh, there 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 um there and, and let's face it, very few things. It's not always true, but very things we we do are not so catastrophic that we can't fix them. Correct. I mean, that's the beauty of being a lawyer rather than a doctor, right? Is I can have an epic fail, and typically I'm not I'm not killing anyone. Right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> And, and, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> right. Can you talk about, um, I think you were upset. You are culture coin. Yeah. So what is that? 
Okay, so first of all, taking a step back, so United Rentals has an amazing culture, and I'm so glad to be here because of it. And so we have all these employee resource groups um, focused on different things, including mental health is one of the mental wellness, um, you know, Women United, Veterans United. Um, we have an LGBTQIA plus uh, ERG. We have um, Hispanic. We have veterans. I mean, we really, so we, we celebrate the individual and we look to support people and meet them where they are. But these culture coins are awesome. So what it is, is, is you basically um, can nominate someone for the one you are army. And, uh, and there are different things. There's team, there's culture, there's customers. And, um, and essentially what happens, and I'll show you, I'll show you a coin, even though nobody else can see it. Um, you get a, uh, a letter from the CEO and you get an actual coin in the mail. So this is one wow. volunteer army, right? Our culture. I actually, um, I should put in a plug too, as part of being chief sustainability officer, I am the executive sponsor of Planet United, our, uh, you know, our, our ERG that's focused on sustainability. And we're talking about creating a virtual coin so that we will reduce the environmental impact of an actual coin. But yeah, and these, these coins, and then it comes with a letter from the CEO um, thanking you for being part of the team. So, you know, it's a top-down message, and it also it also resonates and comes from the bottom up. We all at United Rentals really feel like one you are, which is you great. Know, you know, the, the importance of that sort of cultural resonance from top to bottom can't be overstated. One of the things that comes up frequently in both surveys and conversations is that if firm leaders, especially in the law firm world, if they're not committed to this and they don't um, live this, then all of the programs and all of the efforts do nothing to change the culture. They are, they are sort of band-aids without even the full adhesive. You know, yeah. and and, and um, you're very fortunate. And I think, um, I, you know, as I followed you on LinkedIn, and obviously I've known you as a client and a person, um, just your comments on people who post on, from you are on LinkedIn, you can tell it's a really supportive community because someone who's a, you know, at a, a rental, rental center location will comment and the general counsel will say something very affirming. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know what? Well, um, I, I don't, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I look at them as colleagues, right? It's not about what their position is. We, we all work together. And, and, um, one of the things about our department, our legal department that I really love is we created, I, I went to this leadership class that was run by Doug Conant, um, who turned around Campbell's soup and Meta Norgard. Um, they're amazing and they've written wonderful books and, um, I, as part of being in their program and part of their leadership program, which was uh, the Higher Ambition Leadership Institute, um, we created these statements of direction. And I worked on one that, um, you know, that I put together that I got input from my supervisor and then also from the team that I work with. And we kind of created this North Star for our department, which is to help bring in revenue and to mitigate risk, right? So we talked to our colleagues about we're here to support them, to serve them, to be there for them and to help them bring in money and to keep it on the back end so that they don't have to pay it back because of a bad contract or, you know, bad language or a relationship with a customer going south. And um, it's really very gratifying and it makes us all feel like we have an impact. 
And, and that's one of the things about United is we collectively feel like we really do have an impact here. One of the things that I've noticed working with you and working with your team is you've had very little attrition. Yeah, I've been here 21 years and a bunch of other people have been here 20 years, 19, 17. People come and they stay for the most part, which is really nice. But we yeah. also, by the way, we also uh, on the way in, and I, I say this because we actually say it during interviews, not only with people who are here on a permanent basis, but also when we bring in people who are here temporarily, is we have a no asshole rule. And, and what that means is um, we don't want people with sharp elbows. We don't want people who are going to try to climb over other people. We want people who are going to work collaboratively and show people respect, give people grace, and, and accept those things as well. You know, the importance of that can't be overstated. Um, I do a lot of work with legal departments and organizational design. And one of the things I tell them is, look, we can determine how well you cover your legal functions. We can show you where there's gaps. We can tell you what technology to use, but you have to recognize that a fundamental uh, element of organizational design is culture and humanity. Yeah. That's not a traditional view of a consultant, but we all know that if you don't have culture, the best systems and the best org chart and the best plans won't work because you don't have continuity and people don't aren't, aren't really primed to be themselves. Right. And I will say the best, um, the best experience um, and the best lesson I learned on that is many years ago, I brought in a temporary lawyer to cover for one of our longtime um, colleagues who was going out on maternity leave. And I believe that their child is now 12. So it's been, a, it's been a minute <laughs> since it happened, but it was such a clear message. I brought in this woman um, and we didn't have the no asshole rule at the time. And she was um, very well educated, you know, Ivy League, raised two children who went to Ivy Leagues. And um, she was very defensive. She was very much like the queen of the uh, backhanded compliment. And I had her sitting outside my office. And within two weeks of her getting here, I actually felt depressed, which is not which is not something that I tend to experience. And not only that, but I noticed that she was bringing down people who were like high performers, people who were dealing with her were also getting this kind of feeling of flatness and depression. And then it, it was like a great lesson, right? I was like, okay, she'll be here a couple of months. Well, no, after I was done with her and our colleague came back, one of my other colleagues picked her up as, you know, as providing services for them, but left her sitting outside my office. So I had her there for a year and it was like such a great lesson in, culture matters even for temps <laughs> right well it does and as, when you tie it to the mental well-being of both lawyers and people as a whole right you know when leadership is unable to you know enforce good behavior or not usually unable but unwilling yeah to 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 call out behavior that's subversive behavior that's um uh, divisive behavior that's right. cynical. Um, it has a it has effect not only on the efficacy of the group, but it does create a a a a, a weighted blanket that holds down um, the enthusiasm and the creativity of the other members of the group. Absolutely, it, you are it, so right. Well, and it sounds like as a leader and as a company, um, you 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 do everything you can to ensure 
that those kind of people aren't around because it's not just dealing one-on-one with that person, but it's dealing with the ripple effect of, of their behavior. And Correct. that, and, and that in my mind is, you know, a phenomenal lesson, not only on leadership, but it shows how leadership and tone and, you know, guardrails and parameters have a direct effect on the well-being of you know, the people who work in an organization, whether it be a law firm, whether it be an in-house legal department, whether it be, you know, a, a supplier of legal services or whether it be, you know, the rest of the company. Right. Yeah. And it, and it was um, a belly flop at the time and it was subtle. So it took a while to pick up on it, but boy, it's been a, uh, it's been a great lesson and we've all really benefited from it. Did that experience um, lead you to sort of recalibrate and implement the no asshole rule. What was the impetus after okay. that? Were you like, good God, we can't have that again? <laughs> yes, actually it was because when I started doing performance reviews that year and not only my own performance review, but also the ones for for my colleagues um, that, you know, that I, uh, that report into me, I realized like this person really had an impact. And, um, and it, you know, it wasn't just one of us. It was a group of us who, again, had worked together for years and were high performers, but it really, it really had an impact. And it was something that we collectively agreed, like, we really shouldn't do that again, you know? And, and, and again, it was so subtle, right? It was, it was like the backhanded compliment. I mean, this one is so tiny, right? But I remember walking in after a weekend where I'd gotten my haircut and the woman said to me, oh, I like this haircut so much better. It's less poofy than the last oh, one. Oh, good God. <laughs> I felt like I was back in high school all over again. I was like, oh. And, uh, but, and, and So it creates in my mind an interesting question, which is you don't want that kind of behavior, but how do you determine whether someone can be remediated to behave correctly and when someone just can't be rewired? Yeah. Um, so we, we really try, we really try, first of all, to make sure, um, you know, some of the things that we've had really good success with actually are bringing people in as consultants and then having them um, transition to, you know, full time um, because that way you get a really good sense of, who they are and how they how they work and how they work with our team and with our internal customers and our external customers. Um, so really good success with that. Now look, that's not always the way you go. And you know, a lot of times in the interviews, and we make sure that uh, we really try to have people interview with a bunch of different team members so that they can give their perspectives. And we also say right out, I'll, I'll interview someone and I'll say, "Hey, Mark, it's nice to meet you." And we'll talk a little, and I'll go, you know. By the way, we have a no asshole rule here. And what that means is X, Y, and Z. How do you feel about that? And I'll say to them, I'm not insinuating that I think you're an asshole, but how, how, <laughs> does, that, how does that sound to you, right? And just have the conversation, engage how that feels to them. You know, this is a this is a powerful discussion because I don't think enough leaders and especially strong leaders of high performing organizations talk enough about the the calibration between high performance or the correlation between high performance and emotional and physical safety and how people perform so much better when they're when they feel physically safe emotionally safe and when they're in a circumstance that stimulates them in the right ways yeah and i will say again i 
I lucked out coming here 21 years ago and it being a culture that has developed into something where all of those things are are so important. Safety, physical safety is is you know we're we're a leader in the industry on that. You also look at all the awards that we've gotten. You know we're we're on the uh, Forbes list for best companies for women in America for 2023. We've gotten you know called out by Newsweek and and a bunch of other organizations. It is it it is really about the culture and about the people and about the safety, which, which is awesome. It's such a great place to be. You know, you mentioned basically the commitment to, um, you know, the development of, of women. And, and I wanted to ask you some questions there. And I know sure. you, you are a member of Chief. And if yes. you can explain what that is uh, before we, I ask the next questions, that would be great. Sure. So it's an organization that is focused on women leaders and um, and helping to develop them in all sorts of ways. So not only professionally, but also personally. So one of my favorite things about Chief is that um, for the past year and a half, I've had, um, it meets monthly. I have a group where there's a coach and several other um, women that are high performers in their organization. And we get together by Zoom and we have a call that goes for two hours. It's, I think, you know, every, uh, it's on a Monday every month for two hours. And it, and it's such a great place because it's talking about, you know, how did we get to where we are? How do we get to that next level? What are some impediments? How, what are some things where we can, you know, further develop so that it's a safe space and it's a really great um, opportunity. Chief also has um, all sorts of great webinars and events and things like that to really try to bring other women together. And, and the thing that I love about that is, um, you know, look, I'm 54 and, you know, coming, growing up and coming through the law firm environment, um, you know, before I got to United, um, I always had the idea that other women didn't really tend to help women. Um, and that, you know, that there was some kind of inherent competition. Now, my experience wasn't that I had a really wonderful woman mentor at the law firm I was at right out of school. And she and I are still in touch today. She's amazing. Um, but, you know, there, there, there did seem to be this notion that women had to compete with each other. And I think that Chief is one of the organizations that's trying to break that down. And, and, um, I am lucky enough to be in a position where, and at a company that doesn't believe that and is trying to encourage women and develop them and get them, um, into higher positions and, and, uh, you know, just, and, and to be their best. So really, when you look at Chief and some of the things they've done, well, everything they've done at United Rentals, it comes back to the power of community. Yes, community. Um, you know, people can't be healthy and progress on their own. You know, and um, I can't, I can't um, really be less complimentary, more complimentary to be precise, of all the work you do to participate in communities and to build communities. So circling back to, you know, sort of the post period when, when your son or when you're, when you're, yeah, your son, um, you know, came to his decision about gender identity. I know that you didn't just dip your toes in the water and focus just on him. You did some other things to raise awareness and to contribute to the LGBTQIA plus community. Can you share that? Because I think it's really important. 
is the power of contribution and giving back and supporting other communities can't be overstated. Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, I felt like, you know, again, because we're gratitude based in our family, um, I was really grateful that my child experienced love and um, and acceptance from school, from the therapist, from you know our our babysitter we've had twenty three years, from my my parents, from you know um, our family friends. And what I started to realize, and when I started to read, was that that's not the typical thing that happens when kids come out. And so um, one of the organizations that um, you know, uh, we donate to as a family is the Trevor Project. And uh, the Trevor Project is supporting, you know, LGBTQ uh, lives and um, helping to provide, um, they have, you know, Trevor Space, which is something that's online for communities where um, they, they focus on 13 to 24, I believe, is, their, is the age. Um, but people can come in, you know, earlier than that and also later than that. Um, and, um, so I volunteered and I just started doing this back in May, um, to become a digital crisis counselor, um, and, um, with the Trevor project. And the reason I did this was, um, again, I was so grateful that my child had such a positive experience in coming out and being accepted. And I had read through Trevor that, um, you know, basically most people don't have that and that there's a much higher suicide rate. Um, for, you know, kids in this community. And um, I wanted to help make an impact with that. And so, um, so I volunteered to become a digital crisis counselor. And that training, that's not a light commitment. That training, <laughs> that training is very rigorous. Can you explain yeah. Yeah, what, what, yeah. what they require to their digital counselors? Because it's a real commitment to that community. Yeah, it was. It's a great, it's a great program. I'm glad that they screen and they do what they do. I, I started out by interviewing in May. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I, I reached out to Trevor to say I was interested in, in volunteering in May. I got interviewed in June. I started training in July and just graduated in mid-October. Um, the training consists of 40 plus hours of mandatory and supplementary content that um, it, it's essentially like online learning modules um, that you have to complete a certain number of hours at least every week. Plus on top of that, you then um, go and you do um, digital counseling. Um, you know, um, they have like exercises where you do it um, and, you know, some are AI, some is with an actual, um, you know, counselor or supervisor that then you're counseling this, you know, um, in this mock situation and they're essentially um, rating you and scoring you to make sure that you're capable. And then, you know, I, I graduated and now I'm allowed to do, um, I'll do at least a three hour shift every week, which is the commitment that you agree to do um, once you undergo their training. And by the way, I should, I should make sure to state that I'm not, uh, I'm not here to speak on behalf of Trevor, Trevor Project. I'm not authorized to do that. I'm, I'm just talking about my uh, journey as a digital counselor. With them. I'm proud of you for the legal disclaimer. <laughs> right. Um, I muffed it a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we know you're a volunteer talking about your volunteerism and yeah. that is a representative of the Trevor Project. Um, let me ask this because you are a busy human being. You're on the board of a public company. You're the general counsel of a, what, $14, $15 billion public company. You're a mom. 
you i know that you're a peloton fanatic yes i am how many by the way how many different peloton gadgets do you own um, I have three. So I have the bike that I got. I was like an OG Peloton member, right? My my username is Jolie. I, I think I uh, took my first ride probably right at, like shortly after they uh, they put out the equipment. Um, so I have my bike, I have a uh, tread, and I also have the rowing machine. So who's your favorite bike instructor? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, so Robin is my favorite, but I will say though, I've really pivoted and I love lane break. Like I, I live for lane break. And also I'm also enjoying the, uh, the, you know, the, the, um, testing that they're doing where you can watch some TV. I started watching suits and I get on my bike for 45 minutes a day if I can, when I can. And, uh, no matter what time of day it is, and I'll watch, you know, bad, bad legal TV. (laughs) Who's your favorite tread instructor? Okay, Adrian. Oh, no, you know, I love Adrian. And does anybody teach rowing? Um, yeah, actually, Adrian does as well. I also really enjoy the scenic rows. And when I'm rowing, I listen to Smartless. So it's kind of, you know, my time to catch up. And um, really, the, the main thing that I get from working out is it, it helps keep me in balance and helps with my mental health. And what I've noticed is that, um, you know, I like a lot of really complex things cross my desk every day. And uh, whether it's in the context of UR or being a board member on a public company, or even with the nonprofits, I, you know, a lot of people bring their problems and their puzzles to me. And when I get on my bike or when I'm rowing or when I'm running, um, a lot of times I'm able to cool, like calm down, quiet my mind, and it enables me to kind of come up with creative solutions while I'm exercising. And, you know, I'm sure it's the endorphin high, but it really helps. Well, you know, I can't overstate the power of exercise. In January of 2021, I was hospitalized with COVID for eight days. Um, I was fortunate not to be on a respirator, but it, it was touch and go for a bit. As I got stronger and as I began to recover, um, I had a group of people and we would go to this brewery next door to our office and we were basically drinking every night. And one day the bartender said to me, I'm training to be a personal trainer. I, 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 belong, I work at this cool gym called Tequila and Deadlifts. You should go to it. So I had always wanted to lift like barbell lifting, but I was always too intimidated. So I went and I was connected with a really skilled veteran trainer, most cerebral guy I think I know. And over time, I learned how to lift really heavy things. Wow. And at the beginning of 2022, when I do my little sort of personal PowerPoint, one of my mantras was, I lift heavy things because I want to do hard things. Wow. So when my former employer advised me that they were exiting the business and I had a very short time to stand up um, a business, a a business structure to support my clients. It wasn't like I was panicked. It wasn't like I was really, you know, litigating their decision. I just went into action mode and in 18 days I was operational and I realized, and I told told the trainer I work with, who's really, I call him my, my collaborator, not a trainer. He, and he's a dear friend being in this gym, learning how to lift those weights, the meditative element of being in the weight room 
prepared me for this. I was ready because I learned how to do, I learned how to lift heavy things, which meant I knew I could do hard stuff. That is awesome. If you don't mind, I'm going to borrow that. I really like that. Not Maybe not the lifting heavy things, but the, <laughs> the concept. <laughs> well, you do. Um, Andrew Huberman, who has um, a very, very well-respected podcast on all things fitness and wellness. He's a, he's on the faculty of Stanford. This podcast is sort of his own gig. It's, it's extraordinarily well, well, well regarded by the health community, and it's very scientific. He had something he posted on Instagram, which said, you have to challenge yourself and do hard things on intentionally, because when the non-self-directed hard things happen, you have to be conditioned to do them. Mm, I love that. I also, I also, I don't know if you've encountered this at all, but um, I, one of the leadership classes I had taken a bunch of years ago through Columbia, uh, there was a professor that was talking about, he was studying the impact of how we move our body and its impact on the mind. So, you know, I'm someone who likes cardio, right? I like biking or I like running or I like rowing. And he said to me, if you want to change the way that you think or the way you react to something, go do Tai Chi or go do something that's incredibly slow. He's like, you will hate it at first, but, but changing the way you use your body will change the way that you use your mind. And I, I, I was blown away by that. And I, I agree. And, and, um, it sounds like, uh, what you're describing is, is, uh, kind of a similar, similar concept. Well, and I think the message for the listeners is, um, you're about as busy as a person could be, but it seems to me you've embraced the consistency versus perfection, um, paradigm, which is even if it's 15 or 30 minutes on one of your many devices, <laughs> pieces of equipment or right. whether it's um getting a long walk in you're not you're not taking that position that if i can't get an hour of a workout in, it's not a workout you're getting in what you can right being grateful that you can do it and recognizing that cumulatively it makes sense Yes. Amen. All of that. Plus, um, and I, I'm guessing that you're not a stranger to this either. I also, um, you know, got a standing desk. So if there are days that I can't work out, you know, I try to stand throughout the day. And then I also, um, you know, we'll take a walk through the building, right? Anything, or I'll take the steps up to the seventh floor, or, you know, not letting perfect be the enemy of good. And, and yeah. it, it feels like we're kindred spirits that way. It's so true. And what impacted me on that was years ago when I was doing triathlons, there was a real pioneer in the field. His name is Dan Enfield. And he, he started one of the first companies making triathlon-specific wetsuits. And he said, look, all you wired anal retentive people. If you can't get out for a four-hour bike ride, get out for half an hour. Maybe go for a half an hour you know, at, at night. Get in, a, get in an hour, but break it up. It's fine. But don't do nothing because you don't have the perfect scenario. Right. And I think one of the things we've all learned is life, the table's never perfectly set. Nope. The forks are always missing. <laughs> That's right. The other thing too, I read, I read the book, um, Tiny Habits, and I also read Atomic Habits, but, but um, both of them had this concept of, you know, you, you celebrate what you can do right? As opposed to that negative, you know, that bitch roommate inside of our head who, um, you know, who 
will make it like, oh, if you can't do 45 minutes, then, you know, you've already lost, right? If I celebrate, okay, you know what? I did 15 minutes and that 15 minutes is my commitment to myself because I want to stay balanced and emotionally healthy for my kids and for my colleagues and for myself, right? Then that that's a win. Yeah, and I think it's really important to recognize that one of the things I do throughout the day is I, I call what I have a tick list. I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And maybe I didn't get to the big thing I wanted to get to, but then I look cumulatively and say, I got a lot done. There's tomorrow. Um, once you start to, to really sort of account for that, you realize that you are doing stuff and it is making progress and it is building a foundation. Yeah. And and uh, and and again, it, um, the thing that I really learned, and I've passed this on to um, my colleagues and to my kids too, is and to myself, right? Give, give ourselves grace for the things that we didn't accomplish or didn't do or didn't do well or whatever. However, we want to view it. Give ourselves grace. Talk to talk to ourselves the way we would talk to a friend who's in crisis or in need, right? Like giving ourselves grace, giving ourselves permission to give things up. Um, and also um, just, you know, again, commitment to um, balance and, and emotional healthiness and, and kindness with ourselves and with others. Have you ever had a period of time where you had to recognize that maybe the self-talk inside your head wasn't constructive and become more conscious of, of changing that dialogue? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I've certainly had experience with that. And, uh, you know, I, I imagine uh, it's possible you have as well. It's, um, it, it's, a, it's difficult, right, to, to pull back and to assess and to play back that tape and to realize that, um, look, brains break brains sometimes make us liars. Um, you know, we, we have to spend time figuring out um, when we hear that negative self-talk, is it fact or is it fiction? Yeah, there's a, there's a great, um, there's a, it's a lot about recognizing the dialogue and over the years through therapy and, um, you know, relying on some cognitive behavioral therapy techniques, I've been able to rewire the dialogue. And that's why I think in, in, in sort of my, you know, moments of, of crisis, I've been able to maintain optimism, always yes. feeling like there's a better day ahead. Right. And, and I think that, you know, as we begin to understand what we're saying to ourselves, you you said the pivotal thing. Would you talk to your, your friend like that? Right. The other thing, and I, I, I do this as a grounding exercise, uh, you know, I'll be driving to work sometimes and I'll be thinking about the 15 things that I didn't do the night before that would have, you know, that I'm, that I'm going to have to hit the ground running. And I start to feel my blood pressure go up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed now. And I just like, I'll go, okay, what are 10 things that I'm grateful for? Right. And, and it could be as, as simple as, you know, I, I had, um, you know, I, I had my cinnamon tea in the house today. I could, I could drink that on the way here, or, you know, it could be bigger, right. It could be, I'm grateful for my education and my health, but, but sometimes if I'm stressed and I can't come up with something that's, you know, more profound, I'll do the little things, right. Oh my gosh. I'm so grateful that I had matching shoes. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> like so, silly things, right? Or, you know, that I got a puppy to snuggle today or whatever, right? But um, just, just again, making it like poking away. Cause one of the things I went to a Tony Robbins seminar many years ago. And, and what I heard from that was that gratitude and fear can't live in the same space. So they really, they really can't. Yeah. So if I start, if I want to mitigate fear, I, I poke away at it with gratitude. One of my um, phrases, and I don't think I am, I may have invented it. I may not have. I don't know where I got it into my brain, but it's providence and grace are found in small places. Ah. <laughs> and that could be, you know, seeing a flower blooming in someone's garden. That could be watching someone help an elderly person across the street. Um, that could be, you know, anything from witnessing an act of kindness to seeing something really pretty out of the corner of your eye. Grace and providence come in small places. Oh, and, I like when, that. and when we remember that, we realize the world is an okay place. Yeah. Looking for evidence of good. <laughs> yes. Well, well, Joey, this has been a fabulous um, uh, conversation. I am so thrilled that you have been my first guest. I treasure um, you as a human being and what you do and how you do it and how, how you set an example for others. So thank you very much. Thank you. I'm so honored to have been here. And uh... Thank you for listening to Erasing the Stigma, conversations about mental health in the legal community. This podcast has been brought to you by Mark Yakino Untethered. You can reach me at myakino25 at gmail. You can also reach me on Instagram at myakino25. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the stories we have to tell and share both now and in the coming months.